There we go. Yep. All right, Mark, here's before I forget. It's yours. Um, yeah, it's good to be back here. I think I more or less do know everybody, um, and if I don't, that's probably better for you. <laughs> uh, but no, it is good to be here, and especially the topic that we're bringing up. One thing I love about Mark and this church in general is the uh, the, the desire to evangelize and the the actual evangelism that you guys are doing. That's how I met Mark, actually, at, at Planned Parenthood. So um, lo and behold, the, the Lord and his providence brought us together on, on uh, into it. And in fact, it was weird because... I don't know how many times Mark goes out there, but that was the only time um, before we moved down here that I actually went out there. And it was the day I met Mark, so it's kind of neat. Um, so the topic's evangelism. I don't know if everyone um, – did you all know that coming in, what we're talking about? Okay. So uh, Mark has informed me that this is kind of um, informal. It's also somewhat – conversational, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Interactive, right. So, And that's, you know, when it comes to evangelism, I think that that's actually really good. When it comes to um, actually doing the evangelism, that's a whole other topic because what I have experienced is that we can talk and hear about doing evangelism all day long, but it's a whole other ballgame when you get out there and you're actually encountering people who are lost. And then the butterflies kick in, and then you're thinking, I don't know what to say. I remember doing that class, but I forgot everything. And 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 really, even one class can't cover everything that you're going to encounter out there. And y'all probably already know that. Just just anytime you evangelize, right? So um, the goal tonight is to number one, look at some things in the scriptures regarding evangelism that'll hopefully encourage you and um, and also and also motivate you. And also, if you have any questions, we'll we'll deal with those things. And then. Um, we're going to have a little, a little, uh, hands-on situation with, with the tracks that we'll do that maybe last. So, all right. So let's turn in, in our Bibles to Acts chapter eight. If you have your Bibles tonight, Acts chapter, Acts chapter eight. Okay. And then when you get there, look at verse four. And then for the context, the backdrop, what's going on here in this passage is, um, in fact, my, my heading in chapter 8 uh, on top there, it says, Saul persecutes the church. Um, and that's, that's, of course, Saul, who will later become Paul, the apostle. And this is a time of great persecution. If you look at the chapter before chapter 8, that's chapter 7. That's where you find the first Christian martyr that's recorded in the scriptures. Stephen, he's put to death. Right after that, others are... are, are um, being taken around, it says right here in verse 1 of chapter 8, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Very important, because if you remember what's going on, so Christ has told them to go to all the nations and to baptize, make disciples, teach them everything that Christ has taught them. And... You know, some people will say, well, the reason God kicked up the persecution is because they got, they got, um, they got stale, they got stagnant, they didn't go out and do what they're supposed to do, and so God kicks up this persecution, and that scatters them. That gets them out of Jerusalem, out of their comfort zone. I don't know, maybe. I mean, it certainly worked out that way, sure, in God's providence. If you see what happens next, though, okay? Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house, after a house and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. 
Okay, verse four says, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Now, who are the they or those who are the those that went about preaching the word? We know who they are not. You know who they are not? They are not the apostles. Okay, because you see that in verse one, the very last part of verse one, everyone is scattered except the apostles. Okay, so we know it's not the apostles that are scattered. Who is it then that's scattered? It's everybody else. So this is important because when we're talking about evangelism, the first thing to, to, uh, that we should ask, I guess, is, well, am I called to evangelize? Right? If, am I a Christian called to evangelize? And the answer is yes. Um, and I'm bringing that up because a lot of times, even in the Great Commission passages, when Christ sends out the apostles... There have been others who have argued in the past. They'll say, well, that's just the apostles. The apostles are supposed to go to all the nations. The apostles are supposed to go and evangelize. But you don't, when you, when you start interpreting scripture with scripture and looking at other places in scriptures, what you're finding is that it's not just the apostles who are out there evangelizing. In fact, so look at this. So you see the word in verse four. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And then look in verse five. Verse five says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. So you have two words there in verse four and five. You have one group that is preaching the word and one group that is proclaiming Christ to them. Okay, there's a huge difference, though, between preaching the word and proclaiming Christ to them in the original language. Huge difference. In the original language, and I, I, I am kind of stumped as far as, um, and I, I think most translations will say something like this as far as verse 4 goes. It says, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. It should be something like they went about gospelizing. They went up, Our word for evangelizing comes from the word that's used to make up this phrase right here in the Greek. They're going about sharing the gospel. They're not proclaiming it. The verse five is proclaiming. Verse five is Caruso. That's the word for preaching. That's the word for, 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 uh, what John the Baptist does. Lifting your voice like a trumpet. Proclaiming it with authority in a loud way. Okay. Verse four is not that sense. Verse four, in fact, I've seen other people, um, who have translated that word as something like gossiping the word in the sense of they're going about as they're as they're interacting with others, they're sharing. They're they're they they are proclaiming it, but it's it's not in the sense of any kind of official authoritative sense like Peter's doing in verse five. So that's a big difference, right? That's a big difference. So verse four is demonstrating that those who had been scattered, namely those who are not apostles, are still going out and they're gospelizing. They're sharing the gospel. They're preaching the word. Does anyone have anything else besides preaching there in verse four? I think more or less I've checked it before. Could be off, though. Maybe one slipped through the cracks. Maybe Davis. Davis, do you have the Living Bible tonight again? What does the Living Bible say? No, I'm just kidding. All right. So preaching the word. So here's the thing, okay? What does that tell us? Well, we're all called to evangelize. Now, the second question is this. What is evangelism, though? That's a big question, right? What is evangelism? So I want to stop right here and 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 just ask, ask you all what, um, and don't, be worried about getting something wrong or saying the wrong thing or being put on the spot. Okay. But, but, um, honestly, okay. When somebody asks you, Hey, what, what is evangelism to you? What, how would you explain or define evangelism? What would somebody say? Yeah. Amen. Anybody else? Would you, would you add anything to that? Trevor put his hand up. Go ahead, Trevor. Okay. All right. So sharing the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, that's a, yeah, Davis, and we'll talk about that. That's right, because it's about, yeah, what is the, the gospel that we share? Yeah. Leaving a 
Okay, okay. That's a good, and we'll talk about that at the end as far as the ways to evangelize, the techniques, you know, so the practicality of it. Uh, but yeah, and I appreciate the answer back here because what happens is, and, and you can find this in a lot of literature, a lot of books on evangelism, and it's, it's, it's theologically driven. But a lot of times people define evangelism uh, based on results. So they'll say something like it's sharing the gospel and seeing people converted. Sharing the gospel and people call on the name. People repent and believe. Something like that. So it's, it's, it's the emphasis sometimes is on the results, on what happens when we evangelize. The problem with that is what? What's some of the few problems? What, what, what comes to mind as far as that being a reason or a definition, excuse me, of evangelism? Why is that a problem? Yeah. God is the one who gives the increase. Exactly right. If we're going by, because you know what happens is the problem is, is this. And there's, there's, there's a few problems. There's, there's two atrocious, um, situations that arise, okay? If I go and evangelize primarily for the sake of results. Now, we should want everyone we evangelize to be converted. We should even expect that. We should. Because we have a God who saves to the uttermost. He saves those who are lost. He tells us that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Gospel is the power of God and the salvation, right? So we expect people to be converted, yes. However, if that's the main reason why I evangelize, what happens when they don't believe? What happens if I go out and I share the gospel with, you know, I have a lost sister. I share, I've shared the gospel with her a million times, it seems like. She still doesn't believe it. Okay? Now, if I'm looking at results, I'm saying, you know what? Whatever I'm doing is not working. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm telling her about all these things, and it's not working. Okay? It's going to lead to pragmatism. Pragmatism is the idea that the means justify the end. So now I'm going to go to her, not necessarily with the gospel, or put it this way, if I do go with the gospel, it's going to be a very watered-down gospel. Because the first thing I've tried, you know, I've tried sharing her scripture. I've tried talking to her about God, about the bad news, the good news, all these things. She's not biting. And so if it's about results, i got to do something else. Okay. Whereas in scripture, what you find is that Christ himself, think about how unsuccessful of an evangelist Jesus Christ was when he was on earth. And I'm saying that respectfully, but think about how many conversions, right? There were not a lot of conversions when Christ is on earth, as far as we know. Um, same thing, you can go back to the prophets, and they have uh, they had a different type of ministry in a sense, but Isaiah and Jeremiah and these guys, you know, God directly tells them, hey, when you go out there, they're not going to believe, but you still have to go and do it. Um, John the Baptist was popular in a sense, but remember, everybody starts stop, starts to leave him and go to Jesus, and then he gets his head chopped off and things like that. If you're looking at this from the world's perspective, you have to look at these guys. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and he's out there preaching every day, it seems like, assumingly. He's out, he's preaching a lot. He's telling people before he's building the ark what he's doing, assumingly, and what's going on, and they're not believing him. Okay, so these are very unsuccessful evangelists if we're talking about results as part of our definition for what evangelism is. Again, we should expect results, pray for results, but as you mentioned, right, what, what does the Scripture say? That, that we plant, we sow, we water, but God gives the increase. And that's why I said it's theologically driven. It very much is. So the pragmatism, you know, the idea that I've got to... I've got to, uh, I've got to try different things. I've got to go with the gimmicks. I've got to do different, the, the bait and switch, whatever that is. Usually there's a unhealthy theological or unhealthy, unbiblical 
reason behind some of those things. Okay, so why though, here's the flip side of that. Why is that encouraging for us when we go and evangelize? Why is that encouraging? Why do y'all think that's encouraging? Yeah, why is it encouraging to know that it's not about results? It's not about us. Yep. Yes, you're free to be faithful and you don't have to worry about. And here's the thing. You don't have to worry about. Am I saying the right thing? Did I say the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? Um, if someone doesn't get converted, it's not your fault. In other words, right? Because you can sleep at night. Mm hmm. Yeah, Luther, Luther would say something like, um, you know, they said, hey, you know, what's, what's the deal? How are these people being converted and the reformations flourishing? And he said he would preach the gospel and he went to bed at night and the Lord did the work. And that's really what it is. And I have met people who would actually very much, um, say, hey, I can't sleep. I, you know, I, 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 I've done everything I could and they're still not saved and they put the blame on them. And again, it's a, it's a fine line though because we don't want to say, we don't want to be so passive where we're like, oh, I'm just going to share the gospel and just, and go to sleep and not really care and things like that, right? You don't want to go to that extreme because we are, we do care about the souls we're evangelizing. We should. And we, we do care about lost people. We want to see them converted. We should be praying for their souls, praying for their conversion. God does use those means. He uses us and what we, He does use what we say. And He does use our prayers to convert people. So it is a fine line, but it is to say that, yeah, it does relieve us, relieve us of the burden of, of doing, um, um, in a sense saying, well, if 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 I evangelize and they don't come to faith, I get very discouraged. And I put the blame on myself. And I think if only I did this or if only I did that, they would have been saved. That's not true. It's not true. Okay? Um, now, we have a bit of a predicament up here. We uh, my, my son here is in his third week of potty training, and he has to pee. And he's a very shy boy. And so, James, <laughs> can I take a five-minute break real fast? I'm so sorry. All right. Yeah. Mark. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get specific while, while uh, Ryan's back there doing what Ryan has to do. Um, tell me an example. Give me an example of where results-driven strategies for evangelism have produced a pragmatism, something you've seen, something you've experienced, something you have maybe have believed or still believe. Give me, give me an example of that. Okay. Uh, Cameron? Okay. Okay. Youth retreat worship. Okay. Got it. What else? Give me another specific. Yes. A a secret friendly church. That's the whole basis of it. Go ahead. Uh, Landy, did you have something? Oh, okay. (laughs) Those are fun for the pastor though. So yeah. Yeah. Go, Go ahead. Hold on guys. Amber. Yes. Yeah. 
Discipleship is the great divider of biblical and non-biblical evangelism, in my opinion. uh, You know, if you have non-biblical evangelism, the, the goal is to get somebody to make an agreement to pray a prayer, to sign on the on the line, that sort of thing. If if the idea is biblical, then you're you're following Matthew 28, where Jesus said, "Go into all the world and make disciples." Um, and so, anyway, uh, that's a that, that's that's a great that's great input, Amber. What what else do we have? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, Ryan's probably experienced this. Any pastor who ever goes to lunch, Trevor's probably experienced this. Dave, I'm sure has. You go to uh, any kind of meeting with other pastors, and, and the, the questions are usually, "How big is your church? How many baptisms have you done?" That sort of thing. And so, um, we are, as Americans, we are a results-based culture. We want to see, you know, it, it's it's ROI, baby, return on investment, and you know, and so that's. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. That that's, that reminds me of when I was pastor on the reservation, we had a uh, this is an SBC church and we had we had associational meetings and we'd all get together I think like once every six months or so, and uh, at one of them it was my first one actually, um, all the pastors are there from that area and the guy who's leading the association meeting, he says okay he gives us all a piece of paper and he says okay I want you guys to write down how many baptisms you're going to have this year. Right. And you're like, well, wait a minute. How's this? I don't know yet. <laughs> and that's the point. Right. So if I put 20 and I'm at I'm at like five come June or July, I'm going to change something. And that's a big problem. So that's why this is very important stuff. You know, theology matters. That's why especially, um, you know, when we talk about the Bible being sufficient, it includes evangelism, right? So it's it's about, hey, the Bible's sufficient when it comes to telling us how to evangelize. The other place I want to look at besides Acts, which shows that we are, all of us, called to evangelize is Matthew 28, the Great Commission passage. And the reason I want to look at this is because it's, it's, uh, it's one of the most encouraging passages in the whole Bible when it comes to evangelizing. And... Um, and if you if you consider what the the situation is with these disciples, so this is right after Christ has been risen from the dead, and he's appearing before them in verse sixteen twenty eight verse sixteen. They're on a mountain, but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Okay, and it says when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, so. Right before that, right? So it tells us right here that they're doubtful. They're looking at the resurrected Jesus Christ, and some of them are doubtful. And, you know, some have said, well, they're doubtful about him being Lord, him being Christ, him being raised from the dead. They could be doubtful about that. Uh, I think the best look at this is the idea that they're not necessarily doubtful, and this, this comes from the language. They're not doubtful as far as who he is. They're doubtful as to whether or not they can actually live up to who he is, in a sense. So in other words, it's almost like Peter. In fact, the same word here for doubt is the same word that that is used for Peter whenever he's walking on the water for a moment. But then he doubts. He loses faith and he, he sinks. And Christ comes in and lifts him up. It's the same word there. So it's something like that. So these disciples are not necessarily doubting him, but it's like us, you know, when our faith wavers. In the, in, and especially in the midst of 
on the ground, you're about to evangelize, you're about to share the gospel, and um, and I, I I know for myself it is it's a horrible feeling. You know, you get the butterflies and you're worried and all that. Um, that's normal. That's for everybody. Paul the apostle had fear and trembling when he goes in these places, right? So that's very healthy. That's very well. It's normal, anyways. But here's the thing, right? So when they're doubting, look how Christ responds. Okay, verse 19. Christ comes up to them and speaks to them. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, so that's how he begins the Great Commission passage, what we call the Great Commission passage. He's, he talks, first of all, about the authority that he has in heaven and on earth. He has authority in heaven, but he has authority on earth as well. So that's how he starts. And then look how he ends it. The very last verse in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. The very last phrase, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he begins by reminding them who he is. I have all authority and therefore do this. And then he ends by saying, I am with you always. And the emphasis there is certainly on the person who is with him, with them. The, he's saying, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstances, no matter. And, and I read this as, um, you know, again, going back to the the uh, the. I don't know if it's a debate or some people just kind of having these weird takes, but some people do look at this and they say, well, this great commission idea is just for the apostles. And so you look at this last phrase and clearly there's something else going on here. And Matthew is intentionally telling everyone who comes after them that everyone, everyone who is a disciple of Christ, as they go out, they are having crisis with them even to the end of the age. So that's encouraging, right? So as you're going out, it's the it's not like Christ has abandoned us, but he was with the apostles. No, not at all. The opposite. In fact, we we need more grace than the apostles needed in a sense. Now, I know they needed just as much, but you know, in the sense of, hey, they were living in a time of extraordinary supernatural gifts going on. Okay? I don't I don't personally think that that is still part of our age. So what do we have? We have the scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the words of Christ, we have 2,000 years demonstrating that this gospel, because that's what's really neat, if you think about these guys, and they're they're afraid, they're doubtful, they're, man, if you look at how all these guys end up in their life, every one of these guys, except for John, they all die as, as, uh, as martyrs for Christ, um, some of them go up to Russia, some of them go out to India, a lot of them go to Africa. I mean, they're going all over the place with the gospel, and God is bringing about the increase. It's an amazing thing. The fact that we're here today is demonstration of the fact that these guys went out, started sharing the gospel, and God brought the increase. God was faithful, and God's faithful with us. So evangelism is huge. If you don't evangelize, you know, going back to like the church, you know, I've heard churches, and rightly so, say if you don't evangelize, you fossilize the church. That's a fact, right? Um, this is the way God uses primarily to bring people in. He also uses children being raised in Christian homes, praise God. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he does go out and, and, and bring pagans in, bring unbelievers in. Abraham was a, was an idol worshiper. He worshiped idols and God comes and calls him out before there was a, well, I guess there was some people who were calling upon the name of the Lord, but certainly not, um, from Abraham's line, but Abraham, the, the great and mighty Abraham, he was an idol worshiper. God goes and seeks him and calls him. And then what we're called to do is do something similar, where we're now, like Christ, going out and seeking people, calling people, bringing them in. Um, any questions on that part before we move to the next thing? 
Okay. All right. So the third thing I want to talk about is what do you say when you evangelize? What do you say? There's a lot that you can say. There's a lot that, well, it depends on the situation, right? But sometimes you don't, you don't have a lot of things you can say. So what, what do you say? Let's say you have, let's say, cause there's different scenarios. I know. Let's, let's start out with this one. Let's say you're, let's say you have like three minutes to share the gospel. Maybe you're at the grocery store and the, the Lord opens the door when you're talking to the clerk or whatever. Maybe the, the, uh, the, the prank caller calls or what do you call those guys? The spam callers. That's the greatest thing in the world. Just start sharing the gospel with them. So what do you say? What, how would you start? Yeah. That's, well, that's, that's getting, that's getting to it, right? Turn or burn? Turn or burn, click. Okay. How should we start? Well, really we have two options. You can start with man or you can start with God. I think those are the options, right? So you can start by saying, hey, we're in a sinful, we're in a bad shape. We're sinners. We're outside of Christ. We need the gospel. What about that? Or you can say, let's start, let's start with God. I think, um, I think the most important place to start is God. Because without God, you can't really provide a backdrop of what sin is. God is the one that gives us the context of what sin is. He's the one that gives us the, the context as far as our condition goes. So in other words, if you just start out, and I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong, because sometimes if you're led that way, go with it. You know, there's no, there really isn't, I don't think there's a right or wrong when you're evangelizing, because every scenario is different. Every circumstance is different. Every person is different. Um, I know Francis Schaeffer specifically says that when you're talking to somebody about the gospel, start out with creation. And especially in our culture, I think that is absolutely terrific. Think about that. Why would you start out with creation when you're talking to people about, about the Lord? Yes, amen. Which is a huge thing. Our, our culture doesn't seem to be aware that we are, they don't want to be aware that we are accountable to God. That's right. We are accountable to God. We can't just do what we want. We can't live however we want. You know, even when, like the whole thing that, you know, my body, my choice. It's not your body. This is not my body. That's not your body. Your body belongs to the Lord. Because He made us. It's the fact that he is creator, that he's the one who establishes what's right and wrong. He's the one that establishes justice. He's the one that establishes truth. So anything outside of that is going to be wrong. It's going to be error. It's going to be, it's, it's, in other words, in our culture, everyone wants to define things according to emotions, according to culture, according to their teachers, according to technically whatever makes them feel right. Um, and so when you go to these people with the gospel and you start out with creation, you start by saying something like, you know, we are not the ones who define, let's say, gender, right? We're not the ones who pick our genders. You can't, you can't, you can't switch that. God's the one who already decides that. Just like we don't, we don't choose our parents. We don't choose the place we're born. We don't choose the, we don't, we don't choose any of this. God in His sovereignty establishes and decides these things before we even come into the world. And then coming into the world, we're living in His universe. We're operating in His house under His rules. 
And so to the extent that I deviate from that, I'm in a mess. I'm in trouble. Okay? And the, the question is, why would you even want to deviate from that? And that's because of the rebellious heart, sinful heart. Okay, so that's a good place. I would start with creation, the nature of God, God's attributes, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice. You could even start out, you know, with um, I've heard Paul Washer say when he's when he's when when you're in a situation like sometimes we'll go out to uh, um, pride events and abortion things. And 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 when we're in these situations, you know. It's, it's, you know that they're expecting us to come in there and, and really just blast them. So, and Paul Washer points this out. I've, I found this to be true as well. When you go into those situations that are, that, that are already tense and already hot and you go in there and you talk to them about the love of God, right? And I'm not trying to be soft. I'm not, I'm not, but it's saying this, okay? When you go in there and you speak about what Christ has done for sinners, they're not expecting that. Just something to think about. They're not expecting that. And it, in a sense, it, uh, it, it does defuse things, uh, but it flips the script. And at the same time, it's not wrong, right? It's not wrong to go in and talk to them about what Christ has done for sinners. And so, and I, I would be the first to tell you, I've been in those situations where it's like, you know, the, this is, this is atrocious. This is evil. Yeah. <laughs> That's and great. He was yeah. Because just just that behold sin and Christ's salvation or Christ's ability to save was all that God used in that moment to bring this guy to repentance. Just one scripture verse. And so you know, completely in alignment with what you're saying, you just cannot overestimate or underestimate um, God's desire to use simple scripture in a in a conversion experience. It often just plants a seed, you walk away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that goes that goes to show you can't. There's no way to really have a, a script here. I, in my experience, you just having a script is 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 it's just worthless. It's not gonna it's not gonna work. It's like anything. You know, when you prepare for a meeting or something, you prepare for this conversation that's really important, and you're all ready to go. And the second you start talking, you realize, uh oh, it's not. Like everything I just prepared for, it's not going the direction I, I prepared for. It's, it's, it's exactly like that, right? So, well, I tell you what, the way we can be prepared is to know the scriptures, to be in prayer, to be, um, it doesn't hurt to, to, to study some, some biblical presuppositional apologetics and things like that. That's very helpful. Um, it doesn't hurt, you know, if you're, if you're encountering Muslims to kind of know what they believe. But at the same time, you know what? Here's a question I have. What happens if, if you go into a situation and you meet somebody that you have no idea what kind of belief system they have? Like, I don't, they'll tell you, hey, I, I believe in this or I believe in that. And you're like, man, I've never heard that in my life. What would you do at that point? What's the, what's the approach? 
Yes, that's that's exactly right. If you ask them questions and listen, you will you will figure out kind of where they're coming from. There, I, I uh, when I was going to I think I was going to London or somewhere for we we used to do ministry every summer in in UK. I'd bring Mark, but nobody can go now because of COVID and all that. Um, but I sat next to a Sikh one time, and I'd never I have never at that point I'd never talked to a Sikh in my life. I didn't even know for a second. I, I was I was like, man, I you know he has the turban on his head, and so I'm like, man, is this guy is he Muslim? But no, Muslims don't wear that. So I'm I'm racking my brain trying to figure out what in the world because I know I didn't I know I'd seen it somewhere, heard about it, you know, but I could not figure out what the guy was. And so we just started talking, and I kept asking him questions. I remember probably for like three hours, I was just asking him questions, and, uh, and pretty quickly I, I remembered he was a Sikh, but I had I had never studied anything about the Sikhs. So I was just asking him questions, asking him questions, and um, I've, you, you can find out quite a bit just doing that. Now I had the advantage of sitting next to him on an on a international flight. Uh, but at the same time, if, it's almost like the Socratic method. That's all this is, you know, where you're just talking to them and you're asking them Socrates. So, so you're asking them pointed questions, though, okay? So it's pointed questions about, again, creation. Who do you th- like, what do you think is going to happen when you die? Do you believe in sin? Um, how can you be right with God? Like asking them these questions, that's, those are pretty fundamental questions that'll cover basically any kind of worldview. I'm sure there is. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Very good. If can I have that book that I just gave you? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I, I I like both of them. I think they're both helpful. Um, I would say this: the thing, the thing about apologetics is 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 this. Okay, when you're looking at apologetics, apologetics just means defending the faith. Okay, that's that's the that's the generic term for it. However, I I am I am absolutely 100% convinced that you cannot evangelize without engaging in apologetics. I don't think that's possible, and I'll tell you why. Okay, so apologetics is again it's defending the faith. However, there's two approaches with apologetics. There's two approaches when it comes to defending the faith. There's the offensive and the defensive, and there is the um, and it, it, in fact um, there's places in the Proverbs where it talks about. Uh, exposing or answering a fool according to his folly. Answering a fool according to his folly. So how would you do that? How would you answer a fool according to his folly? So I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example, right? They say somebody says something like, um, we just had an encounter the other week, the other week and we're, we're knocking on doors and um, inviting people, talking to people and um, a guy had a lot of stuff on his house outside regarding, you know, the flag. It's, it's, um, and this is very, our culture is, it's, it's a hot topic for our culture, you know, abortion and racism and all this stuff. Well, the, the flag says black lives matter. And when we talk to this guy, we, we say, he tells us he's a Roman Catholic. And on the, on the, on one of his signs was in support of abortion. He's a Roman Catholic, black lives matter. Okay. So you're like, okay. So if you're going to answer a fool according to his folly, you would say something like this, okay? So 
You think it's okay to murder babies? Yes. Okay, are black babies murdered? Yes. Well, therefore, do you think black lives matter? He would say yes. That's inconsistent. You see that? Because if we say black lives matter, black lives, they actually matter, right? At the abortion clinic, at the police station, whoever they are, if they, right? So and, and that, as a Christian, we have that worldview that comes with the idea that black lives do matter. That phrase is legitimate, not talking the movement. The phrase is legitimate. Why? Because black people are made in the image of God. If you're not a Christian, where do not only black people, where does anybody, where do we derive our value from if you're not a Christian? That's the problem, right? So if you say that we come from stardust or if you say that we're just a clump of cells and then you turn around and you also say, well, it's, it's wrong to murder. It's wrong to rape. It's wrong to do any of these things. And it is wrong. Because as Christians, we say we're not a clump of cells. We're made in God's image. But if you say that we're just a clump of cells, wherefore do we derive the dignity or the value which makes harming someone else wrong? See that? So that would be, that, that's what you're doing when you're evangelizing is you're looking for inconsistencies in what they're saying. And then when they give you those inconsistencies, you turn it on them and, and demonstrate the consistency of Christianity. So, for instance, going back to our scenario, right, we said, hey, for Christians, we can say black lives matter, and we're actually consistent all the way through. We can say that human beings, it's wrong to rape a woman, and we can mean that because women are not a clump of cells. They're made in God's image. Therefore, it's wrong to do that. You see that? So you flip it on them. And that's not just for this. This can be for any topic. It, it really is. It can be for any topic. Um... Are there any other topics that come to mind? There's one thing that uh, I never heard of anybody using, and that is the fact that uh, if the person you're dealing with has been chosen by God, you, you could bring that up. Now, I don't, I don't know how that would influence them, but uh, you think it would have Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could. The thing about, I mean, that, I'm not saying that, that that situation might come up. Um, the thing about it is this. How do we know whether or not God has chosen them? We, we don't. That's true. Now, now, in a sense, uh, one of the one of the ways that you could know is when you go to that person, you share the gospel with them, they believe it. And then you like at that point, you're like, OK, well, it's clear that God has chosen that person. Right. So it's hard, it's hard to, that's almost like putting the cart before the horse a little bit because without really knowing whether or not God has chosen them, if we go and we say, hey, God has chosen you, we don't, we don't know that yet. The way to know that is by sharing Christ because again, it goes back to, um, like in Romans where it says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ or the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. So it's the content of the gospel and as they hear that they're going to be drawn to Christ. They're going to they're going to turn from their sin, they're going to hate their sin and turn to Christ. And once that happens, you're like, boom, that's how you know. Um, that's how you know whether or not you've been saved or I mean uh, chosen. Move them, you know, 
start thinking about, you know, God choosing me in, in my life. Mm-hmm. You, you, you think that's probably going to influence You would think that. I, you would think that. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, I think because of the state of, of man's condition, like in Romans 3 here, it says that um, there is none who seeks for God. There's none, there's none righteous, not even one. There's no one who does good, all these things, right? So if they're outside of Christ, then um, they, they, you can tell them everything in the world, and they just have no desire for Christ. And so you would think they would, but they just they don't. They don't, unless the Holy Spirit is working on them through the gospel. I had a woman who was a mother of a friend of mine accuse me one time indirectly of being a God influenced on on her son's life. I didn't realize, I didn't think I was, and I'm not sure I was. Mm -hmm. She felt that way. She was, she was, her, her way was looking at this, and she, when she, he was Mm-hmm. And uh, I walked away from that, you know, confused. Because I didn't know, I didn't know anything about where I was with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, praise the Lord. The Lord, the Lord uses sometimes, and that's the thing with our evangelism. You know, it's not always words are important. Um, you know, some people say with the CC that the CC said that um, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Actually, that was not a CC. Y'all heard that? Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Okay, well, what's the problem with that? I know y'all know. <laughs> right. You got to use words to share the gospel. In order for someone to be converted, they have to be exposed to things of Christ. However, our, our lifestyle helps too, though, in a sense. In the sense of it brings consistency to what we're sharing. Is it, is it true that you have to be winsome while doing it? Yeah, you know... I was telling Davis the other night, and even if none, I, I was I was bashing on Winsome before it became popular. Bash on Winsome. I was bashing on that when I when it was unpopular, man, and people were very offended. Um, but I want to read this. This is Proverbs twenty six. Okay, so do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he not be wise in his own eyes. So that's what apologetics is doing. So you're answering a fool. What you're doing is you're taking the folly of the unbeliever's position. To its logical conclusion, so that you can then turn it around and demonstrate that Christianity is consistent and it's logical. Okay, and it's very easy to do in our culture. It's almost fun. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but it really is. The nonsense and the it is, yeah, man, in the back. Yeah, great question. I think again, it's so. So a lot of times people might ask about like casting pearls to swine, and 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 um, at what point do you leave and turn away? I I think when you're in the situation, you know it. I really do. I don't. Again, you know, you can tell when a person is not genuine. They might be playing devil's advocate. They might. They might. I had a guy. Um, Mark probably gets these calls too. So. So the, the, for our church plans, it goes to my cell phone because we don't have, we don't have like a phone and secretary and all that. So this guy calls me on Sunday night from Minnesota and I answer and he says, he, and I, I, I told him his Grace Covenant Church, something like that. And he says, Oh, 
you know, I dialed the wrong number, but that's interesting. You guys are a church. He goes, I got a few questions for you. And so he, he starts asking some like devil's advocate types of type of question, you know, where he's trying to just kind of play the, the, the other side. And um, it's just one of those things where you're like, you know, I mean, how much time do you want to spend on that? If they're not genuine, if they're not sincere, I would say for me, I think some people maybe are more patient than I am, but I just hang up or I just turn it. You know, it's, it's just I mean, I don't know. You know, when you share things and they're not willing to if they're not if they're not acting in good faith or not receiving it in good faith. I don't know. I, I don't I don't want to waste time on that. Um, whereas if there is a situation, let's say they're in the family, though. Or something like that. So there are different, there's different situations, right? So if I have someone in my family who's like that, I'm going to respond a little differently because I know I'm going to see them over and over and over and over again. Davis? Well, you know, it depends on how much light they've already been exposed Yeah, to. that too. Yeah. 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 He's a Freemason, something, and yeah, we all, yeah, exactly. We'd all talk to him. Davis knew that, and even with him, that's a great example too, because it was like, hey, I'm not going to talk to him. I've already talked to him a thousand times. So and so's already talked to him a thousand times. You want to talk to him? Go for it. You know, like if you want to try it. And so I think it's I think it's just just kind of an approach where you you'll know in my mind, in my experience, you'll know um, now. And, I, and I'm trying to, you know, the apologetics question is such a big question. So without without really going into the actual gist of like the difference between presup and classical and all that. Um, like I said, I think they're both helpful in a sense. However, I think. What you want to remember is that the unbeliever that you're talking to is not neutral when it comes to God. They're not neutral. They're not like, they're not indifferent. They're either for him or against him. Christ tells us that. You're either for me or against me. Yeah, they're not a blank slate. If they're outside of Christ, they're hostile in mind against Christ. If they're being drawn to Christ, they're not going to be hostile in mind. So when you're talking to an unbeliever, what you're going to, again, what you're looking for is don't be surprised when, um, they, you know, here's the thing, going back to the consistency, it's so easy in our culture to demonstrate the inconsistency of a person's position and then flip it and show them the consistency of Christianity. Even when it comes to modern science, that's a great topic. You know, everyone's like, well, I don't believe in this. I believe in science. I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Okay. What well, you can't have, you can't have science without God. You, for science, you have to have the laws of logic. You have to have numerical law. You have to have Order in the universe, you have to be able to assume that, that the, the future is going to be like the past. All these things. You have to be able to trust your senses. All of these things presume that God exists. Without God, you can't do any of those things. But you can demonstrate that, and they know that, and yet they still will not call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because they have hearts of stone. They don't want. Now, we, at the same time, though, not to be too pessimistic, Right. This is also how people are converted, though, as you're demonstrating this, as you're bringing Christ into this and showing, look, in Christ, there's consistency and everything else. People are converted. I've seen people converted through that. Okay, so don't think it's all bad news. However, at the same time, when you're evangelizing, just remember that they're either for Christ or against Christ. And so what do we do? And in my experience, again, the best option is to demonstrate the inconsistency of the folly of sin and the folly of the worldview and the consistency of Christianity. 
And I know that's a lot. And I know Mark knows some of that and a lot of that um, and David. So you guys ask these guys. And I know a lot of the guys at the church here are, are um, very much capable of, of handling that. Okay, so if you all have a question on that. I mean, I'm like looking around. I'm like, oh, yeah, everybody, everybody in here. You guys are probably I'm, I'm speaking to the choir here. Uh, so for sake of time, let's 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 move to the practical part. if That's all right. So this is kind of the last thing I had in mind. OK, so this right here, these are the the best way in my experience to evangelize. Okay, for two reasons. Number one, it's a great way to start evangelism, to start talking to somebody about the Lord. And number two, in our culture that's fast-paced and, and the door shuts in like 30 seconds, at the very least, if you have a track that has the gospel on it, you can trust that the Lord could use that. And he has used these gospel tracks to save people. That's a fact. Across the world, throughout history, people have been saved by these. I got these old ones that are from like the 19th century. I mean, people have been getting saved through gospel tracts for a long time. They're called paper missionaries. They go where we can't go, in a sense. Okay, so um, I know y'all have tracks out here in the back. And, Mark, I'm going to get you tracks. I don't, this is all I had in my car, unfortunately, but I will get you tracks. So I'll get you some of these, okay? And what you do is uh, it's very simple. Um, Trevor, come up here. Let's have a volunteer. Trevor, go ahead. That's right, Trevor. That's right. All right. So what you're doing, right? So let's say Trevor's, let's try, let's say Trevor's a stranger, okay? So all you have to do is you get one of these gospel tracks, and they come in all various kinds and everything. So uh, this is just a standard, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a good one on Roman Catholicism, and these ones on Spurgeon. And I have, uh, so I have a, I have these these uh, wallet size ones too. So these are all handy tracks, right? So what you do is, uh, depending on the circumstance, like if you're at a store. You have a little gospel track like this as you're checking out. You know, you get your stuff. They give you your receipt. You say, hey, here's a, here's a gospel track, something about the Lord. And then you walk out. Okay? Or what can happen is sometimes, say that's the clerk and there's no one behind you or whatever. You say, hey, here's a gospel track. What do you think about the Lord? What do you think about Jesus? What do you, you know, ask your question. And then it might strike up a conversation. Um, these are also good for like in the drive-thru, any of these, right? So you're like at a drive-thru at the coffee shop. And at a drive-thru, you probably can't stop there and talk a lot. So what you do is you get your coffee, hand them a gospel track, and drive on, you know? And the Lord can use these things because the gospel's on it, right? Um, these are good, too, if you're walking somewhere and you're, you run into somebody, you're walking by and, and just stick out your hand and say, hey, here's a gospel track, something to read. <laughs> Trevor's great, right? Um, it really is. It's, it's, it's that simple. The only thing that's hard is the nervousness that you have when you want it, when you try it. That's the only thing that's hard about it. But again, use these things. So when you're first starting out, you know, you might, I remember, let me tell you a quick story. We're at UNM and, and, uh, I think my, we, we just, my, my wife and I had just been married maybe a year or so. It was, it was one of our first times out when we go out to preach and stuff. So we're at UNM and UNM is no playground, man. That's a tough area. And, uh, and so at first when we're out there is me and another guy and my wife. And, and so we were preaching and she was, she said, you know, what should, what should I do? And we said, well, just, you know, you just pray over here, pray for us. And so she was praying and stuff. And so I got done preaching and I had a stack of tracks and we're handing out tracks. And then I went over to my wife and my wife is very shy by nature, just, just that kind of temperament. And so, um, I walked over and I said, Hey, why don't you hand out some, some gospel tracks? And she got beat red and was nervous and flushed and didn't know what to do. And, 
And so I was like, no, it's simple. You just walk over and say, hey, here's a gospel track, something to read, something like that. And so she's like, all right. So she goes out there with the gospel tracks, and, you know, she's kind of like, hey, you know, something to read, like that, kind of shy. Well, the next one, she's a little, she's, you know, and then before the end of the day, she was out there evangelizing, like not just handing these tracks out, but talking to people, evangelizing. And to this day, she'll tell you it's one of the best experiences she's ever had. And so these are really good icebreakers if you're not comfortable, if you're not familiar with evangelizing. This kind of just helps get the juices flowing for evangelism. You realize, oh, I'm not going to get mugged if I go and talk to someone about Jesus. They're not going to kill me usually. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask it. So, so I don't, I, I don't like those tracks, and I'll just be honest. Yeah, I think the tracks are a little bait and switch. They look like million dollar bills. I just like the ones that are up front. Now, I'm just telling you my opinion. You know, I've lost more support over saying I don't like those gospel tracks. That's no joke, man. On Facebook, than I have over anything else. It's amazing how people are so. Yeah, exactly. So they're million dollar bill tracks and, and, you know, you give them to somebody and they think it's a million bucks and they're like, oh, that's not a million bucks. It's like, oh, it's about Jesus. Yeah, something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Right. Hand it with the tip. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, and, and I think too, but Ray Comfort, I think is theology. He's, 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 he's our, you know, he's an Arminian and, and, um, I think there's some, some things that lead to what he's doing. Now, as far as the law goes, I was going to bring that up too. Um, a lot of people are very adamant about saying you have to bring the law up when you're evangelizing. And I, in my experience, it's like I, it doesn't hurt. But at the same time, I think it's kind of like a case by case. Like if you're dealing with somebody who thinks they're good and they're, th- and most people are, by all means, use it, you know, because it's a great way to demonstrate very quickly that no one's good, no, not one. So I'm not, a, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with using the law. I just don't know as far as the order goes. I don't think it's always this. It doesn't have to always be that order. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, and also Mark on that because I think Mark's exactly right, right? So, so think about this too. And and I've I've dealt with people where you're like, okay, so well, you know, you demonstrate very quickly that they're liars because they've lied. You know, you're like, oh, you're a liar. Well, then they're like, well, everybody else lies. And 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 number two, you know, it's like, um, but you know, I'm pretty good in these other areas. So just like you're saying, yeah, I I I I don't know. I I think it's. You know, it's Ray Comfort to me is like a guy who's done a lot of good stuff, and I have some some qualms with some of the things that he does. But he's done more for the Lord than I have, so you know, <laughs> I, I mean, but it doesn't mean that he's outside of criticism, just like me, just like any of us, you know. So I'm sure I do some things that are unbiblical, and, and by all means, let me know, like Davis does, and Trevor, and these guys, and yeah. No, so um, yes, ma'am. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, with family, that's probably a good way. I would just say, so there, have you ever heard of friendship evangelism? So friendship evangelism is, is, a, it's an actual method or approach that I, I think has some problems, but at the same time, 
Like, I, there's nothing wrong with being friendly when you're evangelizing, and there's nothing wrong with serving people with the desire to evangelize them. I think that's great. Uh, friendship evangelism is the technique where it's like, I can't share the gospel until I have actually earned my right to share it, or something, you know, along those lines. I would say that's how, you'll never see in the scriptures, you'll never earn the right to share the gospel as far as the lost person is concerned. So you're better off trusting the Lord, praying for the Lord to open a door as you're in the process of ministering and, and, and serving them. Yeah, wow. That's pretty cool. I got a... Yeah. I got a brother-in-law like that. Yeah, that's it. And that's the thing. Family's hard. And that's why every circumstance is different. How you evangelize your family is going to be different than how you evangelize uh, the the stranger. And it's going to be different than the person you evangelize at work. I mean, all these things are very difficult. But, you know, the early church, go back to the early church where they were being persecuted. The thing about evangelism that's, that, that makes it different from everything else is that whenever it's illegal to evangelize, you still have to do it. And you can't hide it. Evangelism is intentionally going to someone who's outside the camp and telling them that I am in the camp and Christ commands you to be in the camp too. And when that's illegal, guess what happens? You're exposing yourself to, to a lot of trouble with the authorities. Because why? Because now they know that you're in the camp. And not only that, you've told them that they're supposed to be in the camp too, which really makes them mad. And that's why the early church, that's why even today, Christians around the world, right, that's where they get in trouble. So when it becomes illegal to share your faith, guess what? You still have to do it, and it exposes you to trouble. When it's illegal to worship, you can do it, but you can hide underground. And so you can do it in a way that protects you. But when it comes to evangelism, you're still called to do it, and doing it by the, by the very definition of evangelism is going to expose you to some danger. So, um, yeah, man. Yeah, I've, I think, um, you know, you don't want to steal from the company as far as time goes. So that's, that's, a, that's, that's legitimate. Um, but it's, I mean, I, in my experience, and I, I guess the only jobs I've really had are construction jobs. And, you know, construction jobs, you always have time here and there to, to talk, shoot the bull. Um, so I guess it would depend on the, the actual job situation. But I would think, Well, hey, oh, public school teacher. Yeah, yeah. One time my, my sister is a public school teacher in Clovis and she had me go and visit them and, and, uh, and I was preaching that afternoon at the nursing home. So, um, I went in there and I think I had a coat on like this and the girl goes, why are you all dressed up? And, and my sister said, well, he's going to preach. And the girl goes, what's a preacher? And, uh, and I look, my sister's not a believer, my older sister. And I look at her and she's like, uh oh. And I look at her like the little girl, you know, I'm like, well, yeah, I, I could tell you what that is. Right. And so my my sister, though, was this is the time in New Mexico. Everybody's wearing masks, you know, but she my sister ran me out of the classroom real quick. Not not in a bad way, but she's like, all right. All right. Anyway, so. Um, I just don't want to. You know, it's a fine line because you don't want to compromise. But you, 
you know, you, at the same time, like something like that is is uh, you, at the same. You know, being part of being a Christian is is being a good worker. That's why it's difficult. You know, it's actually obeying the authorities. But when they tell you something like you can't evangelize, it's I don't know. It's different because it's not like they're saying, hey, don't evangelize because we're against Christ, but don't evangelize because you're on the clock. But I would say as a teacher, though, I would think it would be hard to teach anything without bringing in the, the, the presuppositions of the Christian worldview. So in that sense, I think you would have to do some of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I give him a book. Give him a book. Say, hey, I, right? No, you weren't. Yeah, get you a book. Yeah. If you give, hey, I would do something like this. If you read it, you think it's a good book, you know, just next time you see him, hey, I just finished this book. It's a great book. Take it. Check it out. Something like that. I mean, it's, you, you do have to be, you have to, yeah, track. Yeah, that's a good point. Don't tell them where you got it. Yeah, no, these are interesting interesting times, and we will have to be somewhat creative. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being creative. Uh, just don't compromise and, and, and trust the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I would say I agree on that. You know, don't again, you don't want to steal time and and intentionally be chatting it up when you're supposed to be working something like that i mean that because then that's another issue biblically yeah and the lord the lord provides man i, I promise you if if we pray for open doors he's gonna he's gonna and, and you see in the scripture we have more time I mean, we're just getting the like the tip of the iceberg but you know paul's always talking about hey pray for us pray for for boldness when we're sharing the gospel pray for open doors all these things that comes from paul paul is telling others to pray for him in that way and so Paul needs that. We certainly need that. We need open doors. We need boldness and, and conversions. We want to see people saved and brought in, you know. At the same time, though, here's the, here's the beauty. I'll end with this. Every time you share the gospel, you're successful. You're effective. Every time you share Christ, you lead people to Christ. Right? That's the whole point. If I share Christ, I'm leading them to Christ. What happens next is up to God. Yes, they're either going to be softened or hardened. Every time you share the gospel, there is a response. So, so go forth with courage and um, trusting in Christ. You know, don't. And if you're nervous and afraid, bring that fear to the Lord, and know that you're not alone. Okay. Yes, ma'am.
Yeah. Yeah, that is that's one of the hardest things to do, I think. Um, right. You know, really, that's really what it is. I had a my brother was well, that would that's a bad example because he was converted. Yeah, it's just hard. I know what you're saying, though. It's hard. Um, I wish there was an easy answer. I don't know. I haven't figured that one out. I'll just I'll just defer. Maybe Mark has. I don't know. I have not figured that out. I have not seen many people who are in that state actually wake up. Um, you know, it happens, but that's a, that's a real scenario. But like you said, you can't go wrong with just sharing it again and again and again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. And that shows you it is a, it is a real work of grace, all this. But that's why when you share the gospel, you can't go wrong, even if it's like the 800th time. Well, and you know what, though? Why, why, the reason we know they're usually not saved even though they think they are is usually because of their lifestyle and so a lot of times what you can do is is like go to first john where it's laying out hey believers act like this they live like this and titus it says that they profess to know god but by their deeds they deny him um, like first corinthians 6 you have that list of of drunkards and liars and fornicators and homosexuals and all that they will not inherit the kingdom of god and so if you bring those things out i think that that could be I would, I would do, that's usually what I would do. I would do that to demonstrate. Yeah. I would I would walk them through First John. I would. That's what I would do. If you have a lot of time. If you don't have a lot of time, like First Corinthians six, where it's talking about drunkards and fornicators and all that. I don't know what sin he's in, of course, but something like that to expose that, and hopefully the Lord will use that. Yeah, great question though. That's a tough one. Mark. I got I got more too. I'll spare y'all. We can go all night. Um, thank y'all for having me though. I really I tell you I'm so blessed by this church and by Mark um, and by Dave and all you guys. I know this is a very evangelistic church and you're not ashamed of it. And I I just have always loved that about you guys and love that about Mark. So keep it up. And I love knowing that there's a there's a a church in Lubbock that's serving the Lord faithfully and and unashamedly. So the Lord's going to bless you guys. Yeah, He has been blessing you guys. Um, despite Davis showing up tonight. So, but God bless you guys. <laughs> if y'all need something though, okay, reach out and Mark, I'll try to get your resources. Hey, for those of you that are with Northridge, we, we just want to remind you that, uh, uh, 
you know, Ryan is not just a friend. He certainly is a friend. He's not less than that, but he's more than that. He's one of our supported missionaries. The work he's doing in church planning, campus ministry, all the stuff that he's saying is not theoretical to him. He's doing it. And um, and is there one thing I did want to ask you, because we, we've been asked this by certain people in the congregation. Are there opportunities that people can join you, like in a, in a kind of a street evangelism, open-air evangelism? What would you say to that? Is it, yeah. Come, yeah, come on up and kind of just kind of... So, so usually during the fall, we're at Texas Tech. Monday, you, I mean, we can go any time that it's flexible. I know it's hard. It's, it's always during the day, though, so I know it's hard for a lot of people at work. However, um, we have been going out in the summertime. Let's see. So Friday nights, I think actually this Friday. Yeah, so this Friday, Friday night, we're going to go evangelize. We haven't figured out exactly where. Well, actually, yeah, I think we are going to try that, actually. Yeah, so I've never been out there, so we're going to try. Actually, yeah. Uh, so first Friday, so this Friday, um, probably like at 9 o'clock, we're going to go evangelize. So we'll have tracks and stuff. We'll have a, we'll, we'll have all the all the gear. You just show up. So, yeah, if anybody's interested in that, let us know. And then um, we have been trying to do more like door knocking and stuff. We don't have a, a set schedule. Uh, but if you're interested, I tell you what, if you're interested, let Mark know or, or me or whoever, and we will... We have a lot of other guys interested. So what we'll try to do is work with everyone's schedule to get the the, the ball done uh, rolling. Uh, also in the fall, though, like Texas Tech football games, those, that's a great opportunity to hand out gospel tracts and talk to people too. And that's on a weekend, so that'll be a good opportunity. So those those things keep in mind. And if you're interested, please let let Mark know, and then uh, Mark can let me know, and we can yeah, coordinate absolutely, that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but anyway, as one of our missionaries, we're going to be receiving our, our uh, quarterly missions offering on the 10th, and a, a portion of that goes to support Ryan and Christ in the Wild, uh, along with some other really awesome, great ministries, Pastor David's parents in Austria, and then we have uh, the uh, Heart Cry Missionary Society that we support now and things like that. So we, we really want you to be involved in that. So just be ready, generous gift, um, and let's keep the gospel being preached, and let's let's participate in it. So as we close, I'm going to pray for you, and here's how I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God, um, as, as you seriously consider the things you've heard tonight, that God opens doors where you have the opportunity, and, and all you'll have to bring to that opportunity is, is the obedience. Does anybody in here mind me praying that over you? Does anybody mind that? Okay. So, so I, I want you to really, um, consider it. Maybe as, as we're praying, just think of people, opportunities, uh, you know, ways, even if it's as simple as, as like Ryan said, taking some of our, our tracks and, and being ready to hand them out with tips, not in spite of tips, but, um, and, uh, and to cashiers and things like that. But, uh, yeah, we need to, we need to be involved in sharing the gospel with the people of our community. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Sometimes it's just hard to get started doing it. So, um, let's pray and, um, and we'll dismiss you. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this night. Thank you for Ryan and his ministry, his faithfulness. God, the way you're blessing him, the way that you're using him in our community, we thank you for Lubbock Reformed Church. We thank you for Grace Community Church. Um, and Lord, we just thank you that the gospel is being proclaimed and churches are being formed and people are coming to Christ and people are, are hearing the gospel and, and like Ryan said, are responding either, either with the softening or hardening of their hearts. And we thank you for that your work is being done, Lord. And, and so, God, I do pray, as I, as I said, that you would just 
even for the remainder of this week, just open up opportunities for us to where questions are asked, opportunities are presented. Just we have the the uh, moment that is just ripe for us to be able to somehow communicate the gospel, either through a tract or a word or a prayer or, or some sort of or service, Lord. And so we we thank you for that, Lord. We we pray that you would let this uh, this topic not just be filed away, but let it rest heavy on our hearts as we are obedient to your great commission to take the gospel to the to the ends of the earth. Lord God, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Lord, we thank you for this, and we ask uh, blessings on us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.